Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. For those of you who have listened a while, you know that anytime one of our speakers shares a story that includes infertility or miscarriage or adoption, I always reference the Sarah's Laughter Ministry. Sarah's Laughter is a faith-based organization that offers support groups, conferences, fundraisers, Bible reading plans, and also a podcast where women share their stories of infertility. The founder of Sarah's Laughter, Beth Forbes, shared her story on the Story Night podcast on episode 62. And the two of us decided that we would, with the permission of the speakers, share some of the stories from each of our podcasts with each other and thus with all of our listeners. So tonight I am sharing with you one of the recorded episodes from the Sarah's Laughter podcast. And I hope that you are blessed and encouraged by this story from Melissa. From the Sarah's Laughter Infertility and Miscarriage Support Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, this is Beth Forbes. And this is Jason Forbes. And this is the Sarah's Laughter Infertility Podcast. Each week, we'll interview people who get infertility, including those who walk through it and those who walk alongside them. We'll share stories of hope and encouragement, and we'll remind you that God is passionate about your infertility story. If you're new to the podcast, please check out episode zero. It's a good way to find out more about our story and also about Sarah's laughter. You can also visit our website for just our podcast. It's podcast.sarahs-laughter.com. You can learn more about our guest, listen to any episode. You can also find links to our social media. That's podcast.sarahs-laughter.com. Hey, everybody, this is Beth. Welcome back to the Sarah's Laughter Infertility Podcast. I hope you enjoy being here as much as we enjoy joining you in your car on your way to work or on your way to the fertility clinic or on your way to your meeting with your adoption attorney or wherever you're going today. We're just so honored to have you here with us. I have a guest that I want you to meet. Her name is Melissa Cry to Weiss. I'll give you a dollar if you can spell that the right way, because <laughs> I sure couldn't. But Melissa is joining us today from Alexandria, Louisiana. That's a couple of hours outside of Baton Rouge. And she made the drive in today just to come and share her story with you and tell her about God's goodness in her infertility story. Melissa is an author and she's a support group leader. She's going to tell us about these things. She's going to tell us, tell us all about her support group called Praise Him Anyway. Don't you love that title because that just kind of tells you what they do in that support group. Uh, she's a lead teacher and she mentors other elementary teachers and eventually she wants to be a principal. Uh, now Melissa has just recently written a book called No Bun in the Oven, Finding Faith in the Midst of Infertility. And after you hear her story, She's got a crazy story, but after you hear this story, you are going to want a copy of this book. So welcome, Melissa. Thank you for being here. I, I, I'm so excited for you to share this story with our listeners today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here and give hope to people listening. Sure. 
I have a feeling when you were going through your story, hope was one of the last words that ever fell off your lips. Absolutely. When you're in the midst of it, um, hope (laughs) seems so far away. It seems like it's for other people and not for you. Right. So that's one reason I'm so glad to have you um, to come and share your story. If you are listening today and you have an impossible situation, if you have one of those stories that you feel like people look at you and they think, whoa, I don't want to be her, (laughs) then this episode is for you um, because Melissa's story is going to bring you hope when there feels like there is no hope. So, uh, Melissa, before we get started in your story, I always like to ask people, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us maybe something that when your friends listen, they they say, oh, I can't believe she just said that. (laughs) 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 Tell us just something about what it's like in the Cridawise family. Um, Currently, it's wild. I, um, not to spoil the ending, but I am the mom of four-year-old twin boys. Which, it's got to be wild if there's two little boys in one house. Absolutely. And add my husband in, and (laughs) we've got um, a wild household, which is is really fun entering the season of life where we're starting wee ball, and they'll start pre-K next year. And it just reminds me of the journey and of God's goodness Mm -hmm. and grace that... um, I get to live this life Mm -hmm. that I never thought was possible, but I'm a teacher and I'm a mother and I'm a daughter and a friend. Um, I just, I love life. Um, I love sharing my story because I think it's important to provide people with, with encouragement. Um, as Christians, I feel like the hardest part is the waiting Mm. part and the feeling, um, forgotten. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's something we grapple with, especially as Christians. I'm sure everybody struggles with waiting and stuff, but I think, especially as Christians, we feel like when we've done all the right things and we've prayed all the right prayers and we've done everything that scripturally God tells us to do and nothing happens, you just, you wonder if you've missed it somehow. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I want to, you know, talk about and share my story with and hopefully provide people with um, that their impossible situation become can become possible with God. Mm. So why don't we just start by you just telling us your story. Tell us your infertility story and how um, your desire to be a mom kind of got railroaded. Yes, I got married in 2010 to my husband, Josh, and I knew that it was going to be a struggle to get pregnant based on a surgery I had in 2008 where I lost a fallopian tube and I lost an ovary. It was a 24-day hospital stay where I was diagnosed with endometriosis that I didn't know that I had. Um, And then I also had extreme scar tissue and adhesions that we don't know where it came from. I had never had previous surgery before. And in the middle of that life-saving surgery, they, you know, they had to take the tube and they had to take the ovary and they had to clean up infection that was all over my body. And so that was in 2008. So I knew it would be a challenge to get pregnant. And I had been honest with Josh about that, um, that it would be a struggle to conceive, I thought, because, you know, of only one one ovary and one fallopian tube left. But we were really shocked when I started having pain. And it was um, unexplained pain. Um, We went to countless doctors and no one could really um, find the source of the pain. They just knew what it wasn't, but they didn't know what it was. So they scheduled a exploratory surgery six weeks after we were married. And when we went into surgery and I awoke, it was, um, no one would look at me. Mm. No one would talk to me. Um, my husband wouldn't look at me. It just, everybody's eyes would divert and Mm. I'd be like, what'd they find out? And like, I didn't know anything. And, um, 
you know, it was a lot of shuffling around and people in and out of mm. doors and my mom and my dad and my mother-in-law and, you know, no doctor. And, you know, finally my husband was like, you know, I'll be right back. You know, I, we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to tell her. Mm. And so the doctor came in and was like, let's, you know, schedule a follow-up. You know, you're just out of anesthesia and, you know, you're, you're not quite yourself and we'll talk in a few weeks. And I'm just like, no, you know, I want to know mm-hmm. now. I want to know what, what you found, what, you know, did you fix me? You know, all those things. And cause I, you know, I had been in such pain and, um, so basically he pulled out some pictures and he had pictures of what he found in my surgery and he had pictures of what a normal, um, uterus and what it's supposed, uh, what it's to, supposed look like. to look like and you know he showed them to me and um of course they were um very different and i didn't know yeah i don't have a medical background mm-hmm. i didn't know what i was looking at but what he was showing me with some pictures of um the worst scar tissue and adhesions that he had ever seen he said that he when he made the initial incision that he missed my um my bowels by i think a centimeter or oh two my um, he said nothing None of my organs were in the right place. It was the same thing that had happened in 2008. Um, nothing was where it should be. Mm. And the scar tissue was so so severe and so dense, he couldn't even locate my remaining ovary or fallopian oh tube. They did a, another cut further up trying to find it. Um, but at that point, they decided to um, completely stop the surgery and pull out, and they weren't able to fix anything. And based on what he saw in there, he came to the conclusion, and um, which is what was told to us, which Josh already knew, um, but they told me that um, I would never be able to conceive um, biological children. Wow. And Did they um, mean even with fertility treatment? Even with, because he had told us, in his words, if by some miracle of God you were able to conceive a child, he said that either I would kill the baby or the baby would kill me because as the baby would grow, it would run out of room and my uterus wouldn't stretch because of the amount of scar tissue that he saw that was present. Um, so so what, what? where did your mind go when you have a doctor looking you in the face <laughs> and saying, if by some miracle which clearly it's going to take a miracle, but if by some miracle you conceive, you will kill this baby or this baby will kill you. Um, sounds that I didn't even know existed inside of me mm. cried out. I, I, you probably could have heard me around the block. Just these guttural, mm. primal, mm. gut-wrenching screams. And tears. I think I frightened everybody mm. in there. I, yeah. The look on the nurse's face was like, that they had just killed my soul. Mm. I mean, I, I couldn't hear anything. It, you know, you, you it's almost like you're in a vacuum, you know. It was just, I couldn't wrap my mind around what he what he was saying. I bet it felt very much like, like a death to you. Oh, absolutely. Probably felt very much like a child had died, it, even though that child had never been conceived yet. But it, that's what you feel with infertility is the dream, is, is the possibility. And to be told that it wasn't even a possibility. Mm. I took it as God himself had said it in that moment. Mm. You know, I, I, I believed what he said. You know, I think when you're told bad news from a doctor, you just go to that deep, dark place and you just, ex- you know, you just take it and you accept it. You know, and in that moment I did. I was like, oh, my God, we're in an impossible situation. Um, my husband went to get the car and I begged my mom to take me home. I said, I'm going to give him a divorce. I said, we're only, we've only been married six weeks. I said, take me home, mama. I said, please take me home. I said, I can't look at him. I can't look him in the eye and know that I'm breaking his heart, that I'm taking away his dream. 
he had the same dreams that I had. You know, I wanted to be a mother, but he wanted to be a father and he wanted it just as badly as Mm -hmm. I did. And so I'm behind the curtain and I'm like, I'm going home with you. I'll give him a divorce. I won't contest it. He can go on and he can find someone that can give him what he wants, what he desires. I'm obviously not that person and I'm in it. Mm. I mean, because the guilt and the shame that you're the reason someone else's dreams can't come true was an awful feeling. Mm -hmm. And he'd come around that corner. He had heard what I said. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he's so country. He's like, woman. (laughs) He said, get in that car. He said, we're going home together and we're going to face this together. Mm. And we did. How good that he didn't let you go to that place anymore, Mm -hmm. that he wouldn't let you stay in that place. Correct. Now, don't misunderstand. We didn't leave the house for probably three days. We just literally laid in bed and clung to one another and cried our eyeballs out and called whoever would listen to us, our poor family and friends. My gosh, we have such good family and friends, but we would just cry and we would just Mm -hmm. lament of how unfair it was. And Mm -hmm. um, we just stayed in that pit for a few days and finally, it was like, enough. You know, we just, we can't do this anymore. It's not how you pictured your honeymoon period. No, is it? no. Yeah, Melissa, I just asked you what it was like for you when that doctor handed down uh, the death sentence for your dream. Mm-hmm. But I get the whole time you're talking, I just kept thinking too. But I wonder what it was like in God's mind when that doctor handed that down. Because to you, it was, it, it had to seem nothing but despair and hopelessness. Absolutely. But in God's mind, it almost makes me think he's saying, okay, it's time to go to work. Yeah. He has a plan. Now he can start his plan. Absolutely. You know, because his mindset is so much, it makes you think of that scripture that says your ways are not not my my ways ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And he knew he had to maybe bring you to that place of, I believe your book says utter utter dependence. Absolutely. You couldn't get more utterly dependent on God than you Mm -hmm. were in that moment, I don't believe. Absolutely. And I think no matter what your situation is, whether it's infertility or a a diagnosis of some Mm -hmm. sort, you know, you, um, I think it's a human response to go to that deep, dark place, you know, initially. Right. But what you just said is initially. Right. I I agree with you 100%. It's part of that grieving process. Mm -hmm. It's part of just being an emotional creature. God made us emotional creatures. Right. We our emotions kick in and we we fall apart and we mm-hmm. grieve and I, and I think that's okay because scripture even talks about the grieving and mm-hmm. and Jesus was such an emotional man right the man side of him was such an emotional creature right but we can't stay there no you said you stayed in bed for about three days we did um, and then, then finally what? we were like okay <laughs> our friends are sick of us <laughs> you know you know mm-hmm. we're just in that just miserable place Mm -hmm. and so we went down to a friend's house where there's always food and laughter and (laughs) and you know I think laughter is just such a good part Mm -hmm. for your soul and so we went down there and you know really tried to turn it around for us and just um for the you know we prayed about it you know what what the next step would be um for a while we thought you know that was the end all be all and then we started getting the idea of you know let's get a second opinion And so that's what we did after, you know, after a few months, you know, of taking that initial grief and taking time to reflect on what was told to us and seeking God's will. I mean, I think he placed the desires in our heart to want to be parents. I think Mm -hmm. that came from him. And so I knew something was there, but, you know, I didn't match up to what 
we were being told. Mm-hmm. So we um, sought out a second opinion in Dr. Storman and met with him for the first time um, in the fall of 2010. So we went there and we brought our little pictures and um, we told him what the doctor had told us and told him, you know, what had happened in 2008 that I only had, you know, one fallopian tube and one ovary and um, what did he think and could he help us? And with such, you know, grace and compassion, mm-hmm. he, you know, he listened to us and he looked at our pictures and, you know, he said that he felt in his professional opinion, he felt like that if I, if I did get pregnant, that the scar tissue and the adhesions would move aside mm. to accommodate um, the growing belly. So he felt like there was hope. Mm. And that was the first glimpse of hope that we'd had, you know, in, in a few months that, hey, maybe this is a possibility. Now, he felt like IVF was our only option because um, we we didn't know at that time if the tube was blocked or not the one that I had mm-hmm. left. But he, you know, he said that, you know, IVF bypasses the tube anyway right. all you need is the ovary all you need is the uterus mm-hmm. you know we've got this and mm-hmm. so that was kind of the path that we were placed on um that if that was the route we wanted to take it was an option for us so we took that new knowledge back and went back home and you know gave it much thought and much prayer we you know talked to my mother-in-law who is in the medical profession mm-hmm. you know so she had a lot of insight and you know it was a lot of you know do you agree with what he's saying? Do we agree with what the other one's saying? And in our prayer, it was just, you know, I, it was placed on my heart to call the original doctor that did all my surgeries in 2008, who had, mm-hmm. who's the only man that had really seen my belly inside right. and That's out <laughs> and see, you know, what was his thoughts. And so we had prayed the prayer that if he confirmed what Dr. Storm had said, then we would proceed with the IVF route. But if he had um, agreed with what the other doctor had said, then we would um, at that point not pursue fertility treatments. Mm. And so this, you know, this is two years after, you know, um, you know, I was just another patient, but I picked Mm -hmm. up the phone. I called, they actually let me speak to the doctor himself. He got on the phone with me. He knew exactly who I was because he said, I would never forget a case or belly (laughs) like yours. You know, we want to (laughs) be, usually it's a good thing when you're called an overachiever. I don't know if if you would, if you being an overachiever in this situation is a good thing. That's right. But at least it made this doctor remember you. You were so dramatic. He saved my life. Like I said, after he did the initial surgery and, you know, I wasn't healing properly in the way he was like, you're not following the textbook. And, you know, I'm like, if there's a hard way, I'm going to go it, you know, and um, he ended up having to do another surgery because I had a a blood clot in my bowels. And, you know, he reoperated, reopened me back up um, a week after my initial surgeries. Um, So, like I said, I I literally was fighting for my life back in 2008. So he did not forget me. He heard my name. I'm sure he was like, oh, God, don't talk to me. (laughs) Um, But he knew exactly who I was. I explained the situation. I explained the differing opinions. And I asked him. Um, you know, what was, what was his advice? You're the only one that's seen my belly. You know, we want to know, you know, we've prayed about this and, you know, your opinion is very important to us. And, and he said, he said, if you were my wife, I would take you to the IVF clinic. Really? And I said, okay. And so he confirmed what Dr. Stormont had said that it was his belief that the scar tissue would move aside. And the only word of warning he had given that he said, you know, do not have a C-section. He said, unless your absolute life depended upon it, he said, no one needs to go back in that belly. And that was his only warning. Huh. Which, of course. Let me guess. You had a (laughs) C-section. Which (laughs) leads to later in the story. 
So we took that knowledge and we felt like it was a green light from God to just go, you know, pursue that IVF. We had, you know, Dr. Storman saying that we had this doctor confirming what Dr. Storman had said. We had prayed about it. It was bathed in prayer and we were just ready to attack it. You know, Melissa, if this was a, um, a TV movie, (laughs) (laughs) we would, we would, you know, wrap up our podcast by saying, so you did IVF one time. And you got pregnant on your first round and you had a perfect pregnancy and you brought your babies home, right? (laughs) But our podcasts usually run a lot longer than this. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking there's probably more to your story. There's definitely more to the story. Um, We did, you know, I'm I'm a fixer. I'm a type A personality. You know, I'm a go-getter. You know, I want to, I'm a control freak. I'll admit it. You know, I think every woman who goes through infertility is a control (laughs) freak. But what you learn very quickly is that this is the one situation you cannot control. You may as well not try. You're absolutely, you know, I guess I was a little arrogant to think that I could, um, (laughs) since I'm not the giver or taker of life. (laughs) Right. Uh, Although you think you can. Right. Um, But we did. We went um, in the first part of 2011 and, um, we took out a loan and um, my dad, you know, I'm a school teacher. <laughs> my husband's a, a government employee. We're, we're not loaded by any, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're comfortable. We, we didn't have a lot of money, but we took a loan out and my dad backed it up with a, a CD of his. Mm. Um, so for the collateral, so we could um, borrow the money. So again, without his, you know, backing, we could have never borrowed the money. And, but we did. And we went to Dr. Stormont's clinic. So, um, Full of hope and so full of promise and did that first round of IVF, which, you know, if anyone's ever done it before, it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, mm-hmm. I think now that it's so common and people talk about it, you know, they talk about it like it's just going to Walmart. <laughs> oh, did IVF? Oh, it froze my eggs, mm-hmm. you know, never understanding the the mental, the physical, the spiritual, the, you know, the medical, right. the, the financial. I mean, it's so all consuming. Mm-hmm. It's just it's not an easy road Mm-mm. to walk just for the, everything revolved around the shots and the timing mm-hmm. and the, and the doctor's appointments and, you know, everything, you know, it controls your life. Mm-hmm. It, it, everything else takes a backseat to, you know, what you're doing. And so we did our first round of IVF. Um, I, t- I had a super ovary. Um, they were able to take 20 eggs oh, off wow. of that, you know, off of the um, egg retrieval. And, um, when we went to do the transfer by that, you know, point where they, you know, create the embryos and stuff, I think we had eight that had mm-hmm. made it. So we were, I mean, rocking and rolling. Mm-hmm. We were, we blew through that process mm-hmm. really easily. Um, we went in for the transfer and, you know, true to, true to form, nothing went right. right. Um, my uterus was folded on top of itself when he went to put um, the embryo in. So, they had to, um, he had to lay my uterus flat and stitch it while, I, you know, I'll, at that point you just have a volume. So um, it was a very <laughs> uncomfortable um, process uh, that was supposed to take five minutes well, and it took 30. You know, I didn't mean to laugh at you, but it's like. Oh, if there's a hard way, I'm going that way. It's a, your story's getting ridiculous. Oh, oh yeah, but you, when you said your uterus is folded over on top of yourself, what do you do? You just have a volume. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's all they could do for me, wow. you know, and so um, we, they, but we got it, we got it in and everything was mm. great. You know, recovery went fine. I took the three days off for work. I did the bed rest. You know, I followed everything, 
to a T, you know, there was nothing left to chance. We were, you know, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. you know, OCD about the whole process as you have to be because right. everything's so dependent on you doing everything like a little micromanager. And so um, the waiting, the 10 day wait was, you know, excruciating mm-hmm. as anybody knows, waiting is just very difficult. And, you know, you try not to think about it, but you get your hopes up because you think, sure. how could this not work? I mean, they're putting an embryo in your uterus. Like, right. <laughs> like this is pretty much a guaranteed success, you know? And um, so you're, you're, you're getting kind of excited and you're nervous and all this stuff. And so I go into um, Rapids General, which is the hospital, one of the hospitals in our area, just to do the blood work. So I didn't have to drive to Lafayette for the blood work. And, um, they, you know, did the blood work and everything, and um, they were going to call us, you know, with the results. And um, we had uh, taken off work to be mm-hmm. together to mm-hmm. hear the news because we just knew, mm-hmm. you know, we knew it was going to mm-hmm. be good news. Of course, how could it not be? We had prayed about it. We had sought God. Mm-hmm. We had went after his will, and he put the desires in our heart. And, you know, we had everything lined up. We were mm-hmm. good little Christians, and, you know, we had tithed. So, and so why wouldn't had, it work? Right. Of course, mm-hmm. we'd done, we'd done, and we've been anointed by oil. We've done all the things that the Bible tells you you should be doing. We were doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd had people pray over me and lay hands on me, and, you know, we had done all that, and faithfully, and, and believing, and trusting. And, and, you know, having that faith that we serve a, a big God. And so we were together. And of course, we had called and they were like, well, Dr. Storm is, you know, he was backed up with patients. They're like, he'll call you. So we waited a few more hours and finally we had to wait all day. Mm. And by the end of the day, he he called us and um, it just it didn't work. Um, they had put two embryos in and um, none of them took. Mm. And it was over. It was over just like that. And it was just such a sucker punch that mm-hmm. we couldn't believe, you know, we put this time and this money and this effort. We did everything right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, why wasn't God showing up? Like, mm-hmm. we 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 had this. And um, so it was really, really, God, it was just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It was heart-wrenching that we had done, done all that. And then, you know, I think pregnancy comes so easy to others. Mm-hmm. And I think as Christians— we get a little on our high horse that we're like, Oh, we're good people. And Mm. we have jobs and we have insurance and I've got those extra bedrooms. They're ready for kids. And, you know, I work with kids and there's kids I would take home every day because of the horrors that I see that exist within kids and teenagers are really good at it. And so we're drug addicts and alcoholics and people in prison. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. start thinking, you know, why can all of these people have what I can't have. You just go back to, I think we get hung up on that. We're good people. Mm -hmm. We're good people. You know, we kept saying that, you know, we're good people. We have so much love to give. And Mm -hmm. why isn't God hearing us? I I just never felt so forgotten, Mm -hmm. you know, um, during this journey, but we took some time off and um, regrouped, you know, we're still praying about his will and very disappointed in the outcome. And we just, um, Went and met with Dr. Stormont and, you know, he was like, you know, we always like to look at lab procedures. We like to, you know, look at other cycles because, you know, when you do it, you do it with cycles of other mm-hmm. people and were there successes other places and those kinds of things, you know, or was it, you know, something. Because, I mean, everything's down to even like the pH balance, you know, we couldn't wear deodorant. And, you know, one thing could throw off the whole the whole process. And but he was like, you know, everything other people got pregnant and you didn't. And, and that's just, you know with as much compassion mm-hmm. as you can have, that's mm-hmm. just what it is sometimes, you know? And, you know, so he was like, there's no reason we had frozen the mm-hmm. other um, five embryos that we couldn't pursue, you know, a frozen transfer. And so again, we went back that long drive back to Ellick with many tears. Mm-hmm. Um, 
of seeking God's will about, you know, how to proceed from here. And you try to go back to your normal life and, you know, especially working, I think, in a um, school system, there's someone's always pregnant. Right. Someone's always announcing a pregnancy. Just pregnancies everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's constantly in your face. I work in a school. Everybody's pregnant. Everybody's it's almost all women. It, oh, and yeah. they're almost all childbearing age. Oh, of course So you are bombarded. Oh, with pregnant bellies all the time. Absolutely. And then even within my own family, I had my stepsister got pregnant. My uh, sister-in-law got pregnant. Uh, my best friend got pregnant. It, it was just, it was everywhere. And it was happening to everybody mm-hmm. but me. Right. And so I think, you know, in that moment, you know, bitterness can creep in. Sure. Jealousy can creep in. These um, emotions that I, you know, hadn't felt before that I think if you're not really careful about can consume your heart. And they did mine mm-hmm. for a, a long period mm-hmm. of time. I couldn't take pregnancy news um, very well. And it even got to the point of, you know, Mother's Day, even though I had, a, I had a phenomenal mother, but the fact that I wasn't a mother, um, baby dedication right. at church, I, I couldn't, I would purposely avoid church that day. If I knew they were having it, if I messed up somehow and went to church that day, I couldn't even sit in through it. I, I just right. would sob and people right. were probably looking at me like, what is wrong with that lady? You know, but I couldn't, I just the women who it. have gone through it. Right. New. The so, people who haven't, who didn't, I just <clears throat> couldn't do it. Right. And so that was, you know, the first round of IVF. We, we, like I said, we took some time, we regrouped, we started praying again, you know, seeking God's will and his face and this whole thing. And, you know, it, it was, it's hard to, it's hard to praise him when you're in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's very easy when things are going your way to sing his praises and to shout how good he is. But I think when you're really in the pit um, of despair, it's really hard. And, you know, I wasn't at that place yet. We were at the angry place. Sure. And um, not understanding and very confused. And I think that's when the devil can creep in and, and tell you lies and um, tell you that you are forgotten and that you're not worthy, <clears throat> right? You know, of of a baby, right? So, round two, we go back to do a um, second round of IVF with our frozen embryos, and this time he wanted to be a little more aggressive, so he went ahead and put three frozen embryos wow. in this time, and we um, the the transfer was. Better than the first time. We didn't have the folded uterus problem. <laughs> um, still, it still took a little bit of effort, but um, everything went beautifully, and we were again getting mm-hmm. those hopes back up and very excited to um, find out the news and the ten day waiting period, waiting, oh, waiting, 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 mm-hmm. dreaming, mm-hmm. daydreaming, so excited to get that phone call, and um, it comes, and he says you're sort of pregnant. So how are you sort of pregnant? I don't know. I never knew you could be sort of pregnant, but you can. So basically what he said was that I did have a beta reading of seven. Mm. Um, He said originally they consider 40 to be the lowest, you know, of a viable pregnancy. So he said, you know, you are showing 
pregnant, but, you know, unless these numbers come up, he said, you know, it it wouldn't be a viable pregnancy. So the plan was that I would continue doing all my medications and that we would retest in three days. So I'm like, oh, well, this is all God needs to show his greatness and his goodness. Nothing like a comeback story. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, we were so excited. Like, this is going to be the moment that God Mm -hmm. gets to show, you know, his miraculous powers. And so we stormed heaven. I mean, we got on the prayer chain. I mean, it was the whole just this is going to happen. Raise those beta numbers. And we were so excited. And we just knew that this was when God was going to show up for us. And I was even so confident that the morning I went to give blood and I went back to work that day and I told Josh, I said, we don't even need to be together to get the news because I know, I knew this was going to be the time. I I was so, so confident in it. And so I taught all day and that phone call came that afternoon and I um, told my coworker, I said, I'm going to step across. Uh, We had an empty science lab and I'm going to take the call. So I go in there and I'm, you know, ready to shout from the rooftops and, um, he tells me that not only did the numbers not increase, but they had decreased. Mm. And <laughs> it's devastating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew it was going to be the time. We had done everything right. We had sought his will. We'd sought his perfect will, his perfect timing for our lives. This is when he was going to show up, and I would get to share my testimony and tell mm-hmm. everybody how good he was. And, um, that just wasn't it. And so I'm in a, alone in that science lab, crying my eyeballs out and mm-hmm. literally snotting and hyperventilating. And she comes to peek her little head in, sees me, and she goes and calls my assistant principal. And this is at the beginning of the school year, and this is a brand new person. She doesn't know what mm-hmm. I had been through and um, didn't know my story. And and we had really kept this one pretty quiet. We were very open about our pursuit of IVF. And I know a lot of people choose to keep quiet and I respect each couple's decision and, and why, but we did keep this one kind of quiet because I got to do all my prep in the summertime. Mm. And so we just did the transfer right when school starts. So we were literally in the first week or two of school. Oh, wow. And um, she comes in there and sees me and I'm like, oh gosh, she's, you know, <laughs> probably thinking, what is wrong with this woman? <laughs> but, um, you know, I kind of give her a brief, you know, synopsis and, you know, just right there in that moment, like I think God sent her to me because she just enveloped me and and hug and love and prayed for me. Um, I called Josh and he knew before I could even get it out. Just, he knew I called my mom. She knew. Um, and I finally, you know, when I was able to pull myself together enough to drive home, you know, I, Mm -hmm. I drove home and, you know, to start the grieving process all over again. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just, I just knew that that was going to be it for us. I, I just really, nothing like a impossible situation for God to show right. his glory. And I just knew that that's the way it was going to play out. And of course, <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't his mm-hmm. time. And, you know, I'd had, I talk about it in the book. I'd had a, a dream years before all of this had happened, you know, when we were trying to get pregnant, but not, um, I don't think we had started IVF or anything like that, but um, in a, a verse when I woke up, a verse that came to me and it was Galatians 4, 4, and it was talking about the fullness of time that a son Mm -hmm. would be given. Mm -hmm. And, um, I felt like that was his promise to me. And so, you know, I'd constantly remind you, you promised me Galatians Mm -hmm. 4, 4, you know, you promised me that you would give me a child, you know, you, this is the will you have for me. I believe it with everything in my being. I I believed it. And, um, so I'd constantly, 
you know, berate him and remind him that he owed me that, you know, mm-hmm. um, as as we sometimes do when we start bartering with God and start, you know, putting provisions on things that, you know, if he'll do this for me and I'll do that, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things that we do. And um, so it didn't work out for us. And so yet again, we take a step back, regroup, mm-hmm. try to go around living life, but, you know, as we're doing that, more and more people are pregnant. We have another set of close friends too, actually, that um, in our in our circle that both both of their girlfriends and wives were pregnant, and um, you know, it's just a isolating place to be. Mm-hmm. If you've ever walked in fertility, um, no one understands um, because with my friends, it was like, oh, we want to have a baby, okay? I'm going to come off birth control, and right. then you know, and then boom, a month later they're pregnant, and it's like. Are you kidding me? Right. And it and it didn't matter to us whether they were good people, bad people, married people, and single people. It didn't matter. It just we had the same reaction. So um, even when family members would tell us that they were pregnant, it was just a knife in the heart. And it got to where it would become this awkwardness that no one wanted to tell us they were mm-hmm. pregnant because they didn't want to hurt us. And then that mm-hmm. brings its own issues because people are trying to you know spare your feelings and tiptoe around you and they don't know what to say and they don't know how to tell you mm-hmm. cuz they know your reaction's going to be you know not good right. but I, I wish people would understand cuz i know some people would say god you're so selfish how could you not be happy you know for someone that's pregnant and it's not that we're not happy for them it's just a thorn in our side or just a reminder that we're not Right. I mean, these are my nieces and nephews we're talking about. I mean, these are wonderful people. These are great parents. You know, the, it wasn't anything against who they were. It was just the fact that we didn't have what they had. Right. But eventually, <laughs> you got you got the miracle that you were begging God for. Eventually. <laughs> so, round three, here we go. Our last two embryos. And we had already pre-decided that if it didn't work, we were done. Um, we were still paying, you know, that check every month. We were writing mm-hmm. a $500 check to the bank every month for mm. nothing. That's a tough check um, to write. It was very, it? Um, God, I think my pen could like make imprints as hard <laughs> as I was writing. I was so bitter, you know, and I hate to be about money, but you're, you're paying for something a part you, of you don't have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, if I had it, it would have been worth it. But mm-hmm. at this point, it's like paying for a car you never got. So we were writing, you know, that check and everything, but we were we were going to be done. And so we had two embryos left. Um, this went it went seamlessly. The transfer went great. Everything was wonderful. I felt different. I felt, you know, some cramping, some of the things that they had said to look for mm-hmm. that there was a pregnancy. And um, so we agreed again to we were going to do it together. And so we, <laughs> we met at the local Burger King and uh, <laughs> we sat in the car and I even set up my camera because I was so, you know, sure mm-hmm. of it and everything. And um, so the call comes in at Suzanne and she's like, you know, did y'all cheat? And we're like, and she's like, you're pregnant. And I was like, oh, my God, we could not believe, you know, the numbers were really high. We were in the hundreds at that point. Everything looked good. She was waiting on, you know, some paperwork. But like for all intents and purposes, we were pregnant and we have it all on video. And we cried and we prayed and we were, you know, fist pumping, you know, just the whole, you know, we're going to be parents and this is awesome. And we did the whole, you know, we had pictures of our embryos and we made grandparents' books and we surprised everybody and everything was beautiful until it wasn't. 
And so, so what happened? we went for our six week um, to hear the heartbeat. And we get in there and JoLynn was the tech at that point. She had been with us, you know, this whole time. Because uh-huh. um, at this point, we, you know, we're over a year into uh-huh. trying and um, she couldn't find heartbeat. And she said, you know, you know, normally we like to hear a heartbeat, at, you know, at six weeks, but, um, you know, we're going to come back in a week mm-hmm. and, you know, um, it'll be there. It's like, okay. You know, and Suzanne talked to us and she was like, you know, Dr. Stormont really likes to see a heartbeat by now. She said, but, you know, um, this isn't over, but it's not promising. Mm. Um, she said, but we're going to wait a week and you're going to come back and we're going to, and we're going to retest. So, Okay. And again, here we go. Mm-hmm. Ready? God's going to come through and he's going to save this baby and we're going to make this heartbeat. And um, we, you know, again, send out texts and phone calls and mm-hmm. we're praying and, you know, the whole nine yards. And um, I start summer school, first day of summer school and teach. And we go that afternoon and um, <laughs> there is no heartbeat. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. So the baby that we had prayed for was gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and miscarriage is a, a tough thing mm-hmm. you know, for anybody. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, golly, we went through all of this. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have an OB or anything at that point. So Dr. Stormont offered to do the DNC for me, which I mm-hmm. thought was very gracious because he didn't have to. And um, he did. And, uh, just broken. Mm-hmm. We were just broken. And couldn't understand. Still owed the money. <laughs> um, had nothing. Out of embryos. Right. Out of hope. I mean, we had already decided that was it. We were done. And so we, we for all intents and purposes, we were done. And so um, we took about nine months off before we even really even approached the subject again with even one another. I mean, we just were so broken over this whole thing. So we started kind of looking back, and as we kind of started praying again, it was mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, first round of IVF, no. Second round of IVF, sort of. <laughs> Third round, round of IVF, pregnancy. Mm-hmm. We had just done the impossible. The doctor had said I would never get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so for the first time, we had hope. It was like, okay, we got a little closer each time. A little closer every time, didn't you? And maybe God wasn't saying no. Maybe God was just saying not yet. So <laughs> once we paid off the first <laughs> loan of $12,000, and of course we had to come out of pocket for the frozen you know, transfers and stuff like that, which, you know, we're, three, four thousand dollars mm-hmm. a pop. We embarked upon a fresh round of IVF. So round four. <laughs> so we um go about it again. And again, we sail through the whole retrieval and wow. embryo process. That was never, you know, our issue. Mm-hmm. It was the fact that they wouldn't, you know, attach to the uterus mm-hmm. and wouldn't make a viable pregnancy. But so round four, we get to um the egg retrieval and everything goes great. Next day, um, I am in agony. I'm in absolute pain. 
And this was very unlike, you know, this is my fourth rodeo. Like mm-hmm. I knew I was, uh, you know, I was already back at work. You know, you go back to work after your egg retrieval, right. not a big deal. And um, the inclusion teacher, special ed teacher came in and she was like, oh my God, you, you look horrible. I'm like, okay, I can't take off work. We're going to have the transfer in three, you know, you're so right. work conscious because right. you've taken off so much work to prep for all of this. And did you hyperstimulate? You know, I did not. So <laughs> we thought that's what it was. Yeah. We um, we called Dr. Storman, and um, at this point, my husband's like, I'm fisting to take you to the ER. And Dr. Storman advised, he was like, look, they're not going to know what to do with you. Mm-hmm. You know, your ovary mm-hmm. is ginormous. Right. You know, the, he said, bring, you know, bring her in the next day. And I was having chest pains. Oh, um, I was having stomach pains. I was literally, he would have to carry me oh, to the bathroom. Goodness. Um, I was just, my mother-in-law came over and she's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm like, I don't know why I have such pain in my chest, but I mean, I thought I was having a heart attack and then, you know, it just felt like someone was just stabbing me in the stomach. And, um, so Josh took me the next day and, you know, every agonizing bump <laughs> to Lafayette and, and they, they looked at me and they did the ultrasound and they were like, you know, you're not overstimulated, but they could not find, you know, the source of the pain. Hmm. And, um, he said, well, maybe, you know, it might be bladder spasms because, you know, we have to manipulate the bladder during the retrieval. And they gave me some medicine and they, they sent us home and um, it got worse. And I would just beg Josh to take me to the emergency room, please. Just, you know, I feel like I'm dying, you know. And um, so the day of the transfer, they call and they're like, OK, you're going to have the transfer. And at this point, I'm still very ill. And um, so we're like, OK, we're going to go. And at this point, I'm vomiting everywhere. Oh, my word. Um, I'm literally on my bathroom tiles, just um, sick as a dog. And he loads me up in the car with my bowl. And we're driving down I-49, puking in a bowl. Mm. And um, so when I get to the clinic and we called ahead and we're like, she's very sick. She's vomiting. You know, something's very wrong. And we get there and um, they they hook me up to fluids immediately. They draw blood. And, you know, I still think this is, you know, this is happening. You know, they're prepping me for mm-hmm. the... Mm-hmm. the um transfer and um dr Schumer walks in and he's like mm, gigs up he's like um you're you're very sick he said i don't know what it is but your your white blood count is you know through the roof and we're gonna have to admit you into the hospital well wow. so what did it end up being <laughs> so um it was just an infection from the egg retrieval which had wow. never happened before <laughs> You know, I'm mm-hmm. good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I earned myself a three-day hospital stay in Lafayette with the clothes on my back, and wow. um, the transfer was canceled. And yet another <laughs> dream died. Wow. And so they froze the embryos that um, we were going to transfer that morning. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the doctor in Lafayette was like, I've never, we've never seen this before. You know, I'm like, okay, remember me, hard way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. find it. Mm-hmm. So that was that round, and it was over. And so another regrouping, another mm-hmm. step back. Mm-hmm. And I know you're like, oh, my God, does our story ever end? Is there ever <laughs> a happy ending here? And so we go for round five. Mm-hmm. And um, so we had, like I said, taken a few months. And so we were going to do a frozen transfer fifth round. Um, at this point, we're, you know, over three years into trying and the journey. And um, so finally, we um, we are pregnant, and that is um, when we go. We have not one heartbeat, but we have two. So we are pregnant with twins. And did that scare you to death? No, 
with no. the, the issues with your with your belly. We were really excited because we kind of felt like we got a sale, like buy one get one free. <laughs> like we were so no, we we knew obviously it was a possibility for multiples. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, obviously when you're doing fertility, sure. um, so we were thrilled. We, I, I mean, I wasn't at that point. I wasn't scared. I was scared that the pregnancy would end. Mm. You know, kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. Sure. Anytime you've gone through <laughs> infertility, mm-hmm. and especially when you've gone through a loss, mm-hmm. that fear of kept losing this her. pregnancy right. mm-hmm. is a real fear. Absolutely. You know, and that's one reason that we do our pale groups, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to to stand with you through a pregnancy. But I can imagine what a real fear that was oh, for you. Every day that mm-hmm. was passed was like, okay, whew, mm-hmm. made another day. Mm-hmm. You know, but this pregnancy, it was, I mean, my beta numbers, you know, when it's all about beta numbers, you know, they Mm -hmm. they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were doubling. They were really high before at that point. We didn't know it was twins. But when we went in to get the heartbeats and, you know, they said it was twins and we were just overjoyed that. (laughs) But, you know, everything about the pregnancy had felt different, you know, even the symptoms. I mean, it was just I had horrific morning sickness and um, like really nothing, nothing helped. It was just something I had mm-hmm. to endure for, you know, the first trimester and, um, sell through the second trimester beautifully. And, you know, at that point I was seeing an OB and a high risk doctor just because they were sure. twins. And we had, you know, we had told our OB, you know, what the, what the doctors had said and, you know, no C-section and, you know, and we were so early in the pregnancy. It's like, okay, we'll talk about that when we get closer. And, I'm like, okay, well, they they tell me, you know, this is, I've heard it now from two doctors. This is the worst belly they've ever seen. They they don't want you in it. Mm-hmm. You know, those kinds of things. They were kind of watching to make sure the babies are growing and that what Dr. Stormont had said was mm-hmm. happening. And, you know, so everything looked really great. And, you know, we got to find out that they were both boys and you know, that was so exciting. And, you know, second trimester went beautifully. And I was having a hard time gaining weight. Um but they had wanted me to gain weight quickly because mm-hmm. of it being twins and you usually go into premature labor. So it was, you know, eat, eat anything you want. You're, I was on a really high calorie diet, How but nice, you know, right? I was like for the one time, but I can't eat, I can even eat dry toast, you know? So, um, <laughs> so the weight gain was a struggle, but you know, everything turned around the second trimester and we get to the third trimester and, um, I started having stomach issues and, mm. um, not that this is pretty talk about, but I couldn't go to the bathroom. Mm. And which is sounds like a pretty normal, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. constipation. That's what it is mm-hmm. for pregnant women. That's not alarming. Um, but it was um, worse than most normal people. And we were really throwing it everything we had. You know, we were doing every laxative. We were doing all the advice mm-hmm. and um, we were doing enemas. You know, nothing more humiliating than your mother-in-law having to give you an enema. <laughs> and, uh, you know, something uh-huh. humbling about that. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't getting any better. And so, you know, at this point they were kind of talking about, you know, hospitalizing me if, you know, Mm. if I didn't, you know, at that point I had to stop working. I was just in agony and I was 28 weeks pregnant at this point. I'd made it to 28 weeks and, um, had my um, baby shower and everything was lovely. And my other friend who was pregnant at the same time with us, her baby showers later on the same day. And by the time I got there though, I was swole up like the Michelin man. Like, oh, wow. Um, tree trunks for legs. Like, wow. I mean, I was, uh, it was horrific and I could barely walk. And 
So my mother-in-law was like, hey, you know, we're going to go visit. My sister-in-law just had a baby the day before. We all had gotten pregnant at the same time and just got so good. And so she was like, hey, let's go visit. And we'll call and see if your doctor's on call. Let her take a look at you. And so we went up there and um, they did a, a, it was a 24-hour, like a protein urine Mm -hmm. test. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they admitted me just, you know, just for overnight. And my husband was leaving the next day. He travels for work. He was leaving the next day for Oklahoma. And um, he leaned over literally he leaned over to kiss me goodbye and my water broke oh wow (laughs) and you were 28 weeks. i was 29 weeks at this point 29 weeks and i'm like "Um, how scary this this can't work uh the baby presents are still in the car (laughs) wow like we're so unprepared for this um and it just was a game and you were at the hospital when this happened at the hospital thank god and again God's hand was mm-hmm. on us this entire time. And so mm-hmm. we went, um, they fully admitted me at that point because sure. you can't leave with a broken. Um, sure. But I thought when your water breaks, that delivery's imminent. At, at one time it was like that. But it's not but, anymore. But a lot has changed so, over the last generation. Since they were mm-hmm. twins, they were fraternal twins. Um, they were in separate sacks. So um, baby A's water had broken, but baby B was still intact. So mm. they um, decided that they were going to stop, you know, try to stop mm-hmm. the labor. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, you know, give me all the medicines, mm-hmm. the max sulfate and, you know, the steroids for mm-hmm. the lungs and, you know, do the whole nine yards. And, you know, that makes you very ill. Mm-hmm. If you've ever had that, it's a very difficult um, side effects and stuff like that. Right. Um, but they were able to successfully at that point stop, you know, stop labor. So how long were you able to carry him? So I stayed in the hospital for three weeks. Um, I was able to hold the pregnancy till um, 32 weeks and then, um, the second one's water broke, and but the funny part about it was like it never dawned on me like I'm just gonna have these kids because I've been <laughs> sitting here for three weeks with the broke water. So my husband wasn't even there. I'd send him to work, mm. and um, I didn't tell anybody that my water broke. I wasn't really sure, but mm. I didn't tell anybody. So my friend came to visit me. She brought me a little basket. I'm like, hey, don't sit in that chair. I said I was eating my um, Fruit Loops uh, this morning, and I think my water broke, but I'm not really sure. She's like, do you want to call somebody? I'm like, no, girl, no. And so we're going through the gift basket and um, wow. just talking. She's like, you sure you don't want me to go get a nurse or call your husband? I'm like, no, girl, I'm good. And so we're just talking wow. and no clue. Like I had no, it never dawned on me. Wow. And so um, <laughs> I have a contraction. She's like, Oh, I'm I'm gonna go get the nurse. I'm like, okay. She's like, you might wanna you might wanna call Josh. I'll call Josh. I'm like, hey, you know, it's like I think my water broke. I said I'm having a contraction. I said, you know, do you want me to come? No, I'm good. I'm good. I tell him not to come. And so we're sitting there, and my doctor, Doctor Lafleur, runs into the room, and she's yeah. like, "Where's your husband?" I'm like, "Oh, he's at work." She's like, "How far?" I'm like, 15 minutes." She's like, "Get him here now." I'm like, and then like the urgency, like people are coming right. in now. People are running right. around. People are acting like crazy. People, right. they're, they're prepa- preparing me for surgery because we knew at one point, um, we knew that one baby was breached and the other one was not. So we knew I was going into an emergency C-section. And at that point, that they had removed all my lines and everything because I'd been there for so long. Like they, you know, they did my epidural. Wow. They hooked me back up. I mean, it was just this flurry of activity. Josh wasn't even there. You know, it was just, it was just the most craziest thing. Cause it like, it was so funny. Cause it's like how obvious, hello, you're having a baby but mm-hmm. or two, but it never, it never crossed my mind. And so my friends just saying, I'm like, oh, you picked a good day to come. Like, right. Right. <laughs> like, welcome to the show. And so, um, they get me into emergency C-section. Josh is there. My mom is there. Um, they open me up and at that point they don't tell us anything. Um, but she calls for another doctor and um, her partner comes downstairs and 
he comes and he's all, you know, we're going to have some twins, you know, and like he sits down and, you know, you have that cape up, you have no right. clue what's going on and you can kind of hear him talking and, you know, we knew there was a problem. We didn't know what kind of problem. We knew there was a problem. And um, at that point, they call another surgeon in. And um, at that point, the nurse, they're on speakerphone, and she calls for this specific doctor. And he's, they said, he's in another surgery. And my doctor said, I don't care. He needs to come now. I'm like, okay, this can't be good. They're calling mm-hmm. in a, another surgeon and another surgeon that's in another surgery. And, you know, so the anesthesiologist is kind of our line of communication. And so he's like, okay, you know, here's what's going to happen. He's like, we're going to deliver some babies. And he said, and then um, your husband's going to tell you goodbye. And he said, and I'm going to, I'm going to put you to sleep. He said, you're going to have to have a major surgery. Oh, wow. I said, Okay. So I'm like, oh man, like, can mm-hmm. we catch a break here? Yeah, no kidding. So basically what had happened was when they opened me up, um, my uterus was not there in front like it's supposed to be. Um, My uterus and my small intestines had swapped places. Oh, wow. And they were adhered together. So when she opened me up, she couldn't get to the babies. She couldn't deliver the babies. Oh, wow. So the conferring and the talking um, was about how to get the babies out. And the only wow. way to get the babies out was to cut through my small intestines on purpose. Oh, my goodness. So they make You really the, do sound like bad TV. Right? You sound, <laughs> My husband and I joke because the older I get, the more I like bad TV. And by bad TV, I mean right. like the, the, the kind where the actors are horrible. Yeah. And they look like, yeah. they look like a, a bad school play, like where the kids don't know their lines and the actors right. are terrible. We call that bad TV at my house. And the older I get, the more I like bad TV. Yeah. <laughs> Because I like to make fun of the actors and the storylines are horrible. And you sound like bad TV. Yeah. You sound like somebody that wanted to write a screenplay and mm-hmm. didn't have a clue what they were doing. Yep. And that's what your story sounds like. They've- your story sounds like something that's made up. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the writer of this story just kind of... <laughs> Everything they'd ever heard about in any infertility story yep. anywhere. Okay, they, let's include this yep. and let's pull this. And so oh, that was dramatic. Mm-hmm. So let's pull this in. You sound like bad TV. Yeah. And they had never seen it before. So they had to cut through your small they intestines did. to get to the baby. Yes. On purpose. <laughs> That's insane. So they um, they did just that. And they pulled Callan out, which is the firstborn. Um, it happened so quick. They were born the same minute. They were 14 seconds apart. <sighs> Boy, they were moving, weren't they? They were moving quickly. Um, they pulled him out. Um, I, I got to see him. He wasn't crying. You know, of course, I'm like, is he okay? Like, I don't, you know. And they whisked him away to his team, his NICU team. And we didn't get to hold him, you know. And you were 32 like weeks? Um, I was 32 weeks. Um, Colton comes out. And like I said, 14 seconds later, he can always, you know, Callan can always say he's 14 seconds older than his brother, <laughs> but they were both born at 1035, which is really odd for twins because usually there's right. a few, you know, a few minutes in between. And um, they did let Josh hold Colton for a second. I got a glance, you know, and they- But it's all just a blur to oh, you. Oh, I don't, yeah. And so they take him to his team and, because um, every, you know, each baby had a team and um, they, so they're like, okay, tell your wife goodbye. Mm. And of course he's like, I don't know if my babies are going to live. I don't know if my wife's going to live. My family's waiting back in the room. They have no clue, you know. Mm. And so he he kisses me goodbye. He tells me that he loves me. And they put me under, and I end up having a five-hour bowel resection. Um, They removed eight inches of my small intestines and resectioned me back together in two spots. (laughs) So he goes back to my family and lies to him. 
And he tells them that um, there was a complication, but that they had like accidentally nicked my bowels or something because mm. he didn't want them to worry. And so initially that worked for a while, but as the hours drug on, mm-hmm. um, you know, a little bit more of the truth kept coming out. Mm-hmm. And, um, he had to, you know, he got to go to the NICU, but he was like, it was more, you know, filling out paperwork and, you know, there wasn't, they were on Just you know, the, the chaos and, of those first few right, hours. And so, and then, you know, I was in recovery for a really long time. And, you know, when I awoke in um, two days later, cause I was on the, the morphine pump and um, I had mm-hmm. a NG tube, you know, mm-hmm, down my throat mm-hmm. and my nose um, because I was on complete bowel rest. Um, I didn't, you know, know I was even on the planet, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, they're trying to explain to me, you know, what had happened. And, you know, I, the, my babies are two days old and I've never laid eyes on them. Mm-hmm. I never got to hold them. I never got to see them. I never got to, you know, those things that you have dreams as a mother, you're, you're right. ready for them to place them on your chest. Right. And, you know, all those movies. And, you know, of course, you look beautiful right. and, you know, right. all those pictures and all that stuff. And um, they had to, you know, Josh trying to prepare me. He had showed me some pictures on, on the phone and he was like, okay, you know, they've got a lot of tubes. I'm just trying to prepare you for what you're going to see in the NICU. And I'm like, oh, you know, just take me there, you know, and then they wheel me in there and. Like I said, I have my, I caught my elephant nose and you can see the pictures in the book. Like, you know, I was so glamorous and, uh, I got to see, I got to see him for the first time mm-hmm. and it was a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. It was just so emotional mm-hmm. to get to see him. And, um, and then there's the whole, you know, NICU. And if you've ever had to deal with the NICU, that's its own mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. and its own self. So. You know, I mean, as as traumatic <laughs> as your story is with the birth of your babies, I just think of, I mean, the whole time you're telling it about the birth, I'm thinking God's hand of protection was just so oh over those babies. Because I think of what you said with the 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 the, the one doctor telling mm-hmm. you that if you ever did conceive, mm-hmm. that either you would kill your baby or your baby would kill you, and here you go having two, you know. And, and the one saying how, don't have a C-section. And then another one saying don't have a C-section. And you're just like, oh, okay, I'll just have two and we'll deliver them by mm-hmm. C-section. You know, and you're just defying, not you're not right, intentionally no, defying, but of course, but you're defying everything, everything every doctor told you not to do, you did and you doubled it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when the babies are being born, you know, doctors are calling in other doctors and saying, no, really, you have to leave your surgery and come to this one. And how many chances these babies had to die in the oh. womb? Oh, absolutely. Is is mind-boggling. And the fact that they are here. They're miracles. Absolutely. Their conception is a miracle. Their birth is a miracle. The fact that they survived birth is a miracle. That I so, survived the birth. Right, right. So how are your boys now? Oh, they're perfect. You would never know. You would, I mean, you could look at them today and you have, they have no lasting effects. They're just ordinary little oh, boys. absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they, in your case, ordinary is, is a beautiful term, oh is it not? God, absolutely. I mean, they spent eight weeks in the NICU. I mean, so we lived at that extreme oh, sure. hospital for, for three months. I sure. mean, I was there. Sure. And so, you know, I was, and then I still had to stay, you know, I think a week and a half after their birth because of, you know, the stomach stuff that I had. Went longer. And, um, you know, we lived there. I mean, that was our life. And it, it's just crazy to, you know, to go back to that 
that point and think about all we went through. And we spent Thanksgiving there. We spent my birthday there. We spent wow. Christmas there. We spent wow. New Year's there. You know, all those firsts that you right. envision was not how it you, just wasn't it your just, reality. It, right. And like I said, you, you see these beautiful, you know, birthing stories and you get to hold the baby and you get to love on them. And you, you know, you take those pictures and you know, it's all about the pictures. Right. Right. And you know, and if you look at my first pictures, I've got my elephant nose and I'm, you know, swole up beyond belief and, you know, it's just, it's funny. But you know, when you walk through a story like this, you might not have the, the Facebook perfect story that, oh. that people post and that we mm-hmm. see and that we think we're going to have. But God just has a way of taking <laughs> stories like yours, the bad TV stories. Mm-hmm. God just has a way of taking those things and replacing what we thought we were going to have and what we thought we wanted and, and changing that into his story. And letting us take part in his story. And part of your role in his story has included not only a book, but a support group now. Absolutely. And it's giving, it's you finding new meaning in everything that you've gone through. Yeah, I would. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your book and tell us a little bit about your support group. So the book was something I did not want to do. Um, I'm not a writer. I'm a math teacher. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But when God tells you to do something, you say no. And you keep saying no until he keeps telling you to do it. And you may as well quit. And Right. (laughs) And, you know, at that point, you just want to be obedient. And I'm like, but I think God used the willing and not the capable. You know, I was not capable of writing a book, you know, but I knew I had an amazing story. And I knew that people that would read it would be filled with hope and be inspired. And, And I think. Only in hindsight, you can see God's hand move through this entire story. I, I this think is that's only Im- God. I think that's important. You just said only in hindsight can you see it. So if you are in the middle of oh. a bad TV story, you can't see the it. middle of just the crazy, mm-hmm. please hold on to that. That you, Even if you can't see that God is still good in the middle of your miscarriage, that God really is for you and not against you in your infertility story, hang on to the knowledge that you'll see it when you get on the other side of it that you probably can't see it right now because your emotions are going to cloud it. But listen to somebody who has had a crazy story (laughs) telling you, hold on, just don't give up on it. Because in hindsight, you're going to be able to see the goodness of God and see his hand of protection over Mm -hmm. you and over your child too. And it comes back to his perfect timing. Absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. He orchestrated that whole thing from Mm -hmm. the, people that were going to be working in the hospital that day. You know, he he took care of all the details. And for me, the breaking moment throughout this whole three and a half year journey before we got the twins was, you know, God broke me down to, and this is where the name of the group came from, was if I don't give you what you want, if I don't give you what you've prayed for, will you still love me? Will you still worship me? Will you still bless and praise my name? And it was like, of course. Like that was never, that was never a doubt. That was never a mm. question. But until I could understand that, that even if he didn't give me what I was praying for, that he's still a good God and that he still sent his son to die on the cross for us. And he's given us the mm-hmm. ultimate gift. He's given us the eternal gift of life that, you know, I know when you're in the middle of it, you know, that three and a half years, every day was agonizing. But that's just a blip in time compared mm-hmm. to eternity in paradise with him. Mm-hmm. He has already given us the best gift that we could ever have if you'll take it. And that's the gift of salvation. And he's worthy alone to be praised just on that one mm-hmm. thing. 
And so for me, it was taking me to that moment, like, you know, even if I don't give it to you, will you still love me? Mm-hmm. And it was just so obvious at that That's point. That's a tough reality to face. And it just changed everything mm-hmm. for me. Because in that moment, my prayers shifted to prayers of praise. Mm-hmm. of And praising him of what he hadn't done for me yet. Mm-hmm. And what what you could not see. So tell us about the support group of that name. Praise him anyway. So, tell us about it. Tell us how people can find it. Mm-hmm. So tell us what the book, like. you know, the book led me to the co-creator of this um, support group. There's not one in Alexandria, so we decided to um, to make one. And she came up with the name because she. I sent my book to her, and she read it because she was also a fellow um, infertility. She she had infertility with her her first child, and then. She suffered from secondary infertility, which is another issue that people face that there's a lot of guilt associated with mm-hmm. that because people are like, oh, well, you should be happy with the one you got. And, you know, they make them feel bad for, you know, wanting another. And so she suffered with that for nine years. And through adoption, God gave her twins. Hmm. And so we decided since we bring two different stories to the table to join together and to create this um, Christian infertility support group for people in our area that maybe can't make it to Lafayette or Baton Rouge or something like that. Um, we're on Facebook if you search Praise Him Anyway. It is a closed group um, as far as, you know, it, we're only, you know, have people that are going through infertility or that have been through infertility. This isn't for, you know, moms and sisters. And, you know, we want to keep it to just mm-hmm. those people right now. And then we meet once a month and in person. And we've only had one meeting, so we're very new in this ministry but it's already led me to such great people and it's already led me to share my story and encourage those that are still in the wait. Good. So what's the best way for people to find you? Through Facebook? Through Facebook. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they can connect with you there as far as finding the meetings in person and correct. And, okay. um, praise him anyway. And then um, the book had no bun in the oven has its Facebook page as well. And so I post um, stuff on there, but the book's available through Amazon. Okay. No bun in the oven on Facebook. It is. Mm-hmm. And praise him anyway on Facebook. Correct. So people can connect with you there, find Absolutely. the support group, and find the book. The book goes into more detail about your story. Absolutely. And the book also has uh, photos. It does. Um, I was thumbing through it before we started the podcast, and there are that? photos of her miracle twins <laughs> and photos of of her whole family in the hospital when the babies were born. And as she mentioned, with her elephant nose. That's right, my elephant nose. <laughs> uh, but pictures of of the family and everything. And you're going to want to pick up a copy of her book, No Bun in the Oven, Finding Faith in the Midst of Infertility. And you can find that on Amazon. So be sure and pick that up. And if you're in the Alexandria area, be sure and um, look up the support group. Praise him anyway. And you meet again when? Next week. What day of the week and month? It's and next Thursday. I don't have meet the day. second. Thir- sorry, yeah, you meet the second, the second Thursday, Thursday of each is. month. Mm-hmm. So that's when people can find you. And where do you meet? Um, we meet in a church in Deville, um, New New Life Tabernacle Church. Okay, so that's all on our Facebook page. Okay, and so if you are in the Deville or Alexandria, Louisiana area, please do not walk through this mess by yourself. It that's is right. far too crazy, and it's too hard. <laughs> and uh, as I always say, the good news is. You don't have to walk through it alone because now there's a faith-based support group in that area. And um, it's, I'm telling you, I, I'm I'm neurotic about support groups. If there's one anywhere close to you, just go, mm-hmm. <laughs> just go. Don't wait. Don't talk yourself out of it. Um, we've had a girl in one of our groups that her husband um, 
like threatened to pick her up and pretend to go to lunch and take her to a support group <laughs> and like leave so she couldn't go anywhere. It was hysterical. But uh, whatever you've got to do to get to a support group, get to it. Um, and I think, too, you know, some people have contacted me through Messenger. They're like, well, we don't want to go because we're not, you know, as far into it as other people. And other stories matter. are worse than ours. And, you know, or we're going through secondary infertility or, you know, we're not here to judge the Mm-mm. desire of your heart. If your heart's desire is to be a mom, you're welcome mm-hmm. there. And through whatever means, whether that's, you know, through IVF, through adoption, you know, through surrogacy, whatever the case may be, you know, we're, we're welcoming you with open arms, whatever your pathway is to motherhood. And even if you're not doing medical interventions sure. and you're just believing and in, in striving to keep that faith that God's going to intervene and in, which he certainly can, you know, we, we want to support that as well. So we welcome every, every walk. Sure. We always like to close our podcast by praying for you because we know that um, so many of you connect so strongly with our our guests today. And maybe you've got a crazy story <laughs> like Melissa's, the one where, you know, the doctors look at you and their eyes widen and they, you know, they remember you years later because your story is the worst they've ever heard. Or maybe you just feel like you've lost hope because you don't know which way to go and it feels like God isn't answering your prayer. Uh, I hope that Melissa's story will bring you reassurance that God is involved in your story, that he is working and moving. Sometimes we have to get to the other side before you can see it. Uh, but we learn to to praise him anyway. We praise him when uh, things are good and when things are not because he's still a good God and he's still working on your behalf. So uh, I'm going to ask Melissa to pray for you today, to pray for you, pray for you as someone who's been there and who understands how hard it is. So, Melissa, would you mind uh, yeah, praying absolutely. for our listeners today? Heavenly Father, we come to you praising you for this opportunity to allow me to speak and, and share my story. But it's your story because your hand moved on my life in such a miraculous way. And without this story, I don't think it could provide you know the hope to the impossible situations that some people might be facing right now that are listening. They might feel like there is no hope left and they might feel so isolated and so alone. And I just pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that you would open their womb. I pray that they would be allowed to conceive. I pray that you would hear their prayers and that we could intercede on their behalf, that you would heal their bodies and make life where there is no life and make a way where there is no way. We pray that you would put people in their pathway that would support them and encourage them through this journey and that they would seek out um, people that are going through the same thing to know that they're not alone. And so we just pray for these people that you would love them and support them and just let them know that even if they don't see action, to know and to trust that you're working behind the scenes on their behalf to bring good to their life. And so we just ask that you love on them and and just intervene on their behalf. And we just ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So again, No Bun in the Oven is the book and it's available on Amazon. It also has a Facebook page and Praise Him Anyway is the support group, which is also has a Facebook page by the same name. Be sure and look up Melissa on on these two Facebook pages. Get involved if you are in that Louis, Alexandria, Louisiana area. <laughs> uh, thank you, Melissa, for thank coming you for having and me. sharing your story. Uh, be sure to let your friends who are also walking through infertility know about this podcast. We'll let you know about upcoming events with Sarah's Laughter And we want you to get involved. We do not want to see you walking through this by yourself. Um, It's just too hard. And the good news is you don't have to. So we'll be back next week. 
and sharing more stories of God's intervention through infertility. If there's anything that Sarah's Laughter can do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. If you got a minute, please go uh, rate us and review us on iTunes. That helps us get the word out and helps us to reach even more people. We'll talk to you again next week. Ladies, I hope you were encouraged by Melissa's story. And if you are one of those women who is going through infertility or miscarriage or the adoption process, please check out the Sarah's Laughter podcast where you can find well over 100 stories from women like you who get it and are there to remind you that you are not alone in your story. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Story Night and Sarah's Laughter combined podcast. And we hope you join us next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.